This is Voicemail, the Universal Postal Union's podcast covering the wonderful world of mail. I'm your host, Ian Kerr. Where would the world of mail be without stamps? And is there a future for the postage stamp? Well, who better to ask than our special guest for this episode, former curator of philately at the Smithsonian and a member of the Citizens Stamp Advisory Committee for the US Postal Service, Cheryl Gantz. Joining me on the line is Cheryl Gantz. Cheryl is the former curator of Philately at the Smithsonian and is a member of the Citizens Stamp Advisory Committee. Cheryl, I, I feel like I have to ask you before we get into all the stuff about the Smithsonian, which is what we're really going to talk about today in Philately, what is the Citizens Stamp Advisory Committee? It sounds like uh, something out of Star Trek or something like that. What's it really do, though? Well, we're the organization or the committee that picks uh, subjects for postage stamps and approves designs. And we do this based on input from the general public in the United States. So we assist the post office in ensuring that the postage stamps reflect the identity of the country and the people. So that's part of the U.S. Postal Service's operations. I suppose that's a nice segue to ask you about stamp collecting itself and how you came to be a stamp collector because not just somebody one day appointed you um chief curator of the philately of the smithsonian just on a whim you clearly had a background of philately so what 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 started it all most children collect things and i did too i collected or maybe a better word is accumulated stamps and coins and seashells and my grandparents started sending me postcards when i was six years old and this interested me in both the stamps and the postcards and so by the time i was a teenager and my interest in the stamps expanded I obtained an envelope that had flown on the Graf Zeppelin. This was a German airship that flew around the world. And when I held that in my hands, I was hooked for life. I, I could completely identify with that accumulating things as a child. I had a coin collection, uh, but it never went any further than that. But it did inspire my love of travel, which is a whole other story, which we're not going to go into today, Cheryl, and all the listeners will be pleased to hear that. But if we turn now to the idea of a postal museum, lots of different countries have their own postal museum, but what is the role of a postal museum? Well, there are well over 100 postal museums, and many of them are just a room at the postal headquarters or in a post office, and they're to instill pride in the history of the post office for their employees. But there are other postal museums, and often museums of communication, that are meant to teach the general public about the importance and history of the post. And those museums seek to tell good stories that will educate, but also make it fun. Because when you look at the demographic, families go to museums. And so they want to have a good time. And if they do, they'll go back and tell other people, be sure to go there. And so it's a challenge to make a postal museum, not just for stamp collectors, they're going to love it anyhow. Make a postal museum that can excite the public, connect with their lives, and make it an adventure. And that almost sounds like a, the, a grander philosophy of museums in general. They can either be just a collection of rocks 
or something that will inspire people? Is it the same sort of theory? Well, it is the same kind of theory, but the way I see a postal museum, because we can take any subject and cover it through postage stamps. So these postage stamps are wonderful little windows into the history, the people, and the global cultures that make our world so exciting. Now, I want to come back to the idea of uh, stamps as a symbol or a token of global culture later on. Now, let's just talk about how you came to be the chief curator there um, of Philately at the Smithsonian. What what happened between the young Cheryl collecting stamps and adult Cheryl taking over at the Smithsonian? Well, you know, for many of us, life is a journey with twists and turns that we never expect. And so I remained a stamp collector and a postal history collector all my life, but I was also a lover of art and history, and those were the two things I studied in college. And when I got my PhD in history, I applied for the job at the Smithsonian, and the reason I could qualify is to be a curator, you need subject expertise. Well, I had that as the collector. But you also need to be able to put the subject matter in context and tell good stories. And I had that because I was a historian. So I'm one of the few people who could turn my avocation into my vocation. And it made for a glorious career. Coming back to this idea of what a postal museum is, what was the situation at the Smithsonian when you took on the role? Well, When I first got there, the stamps were in a very small room. We had another room where we could put a special exhibit, but the stamp room had frames of exhibits of pages, just like they were removed from a stamp album. And that means you had the countries alphabetical, and within each country, the stamps were shown chronological. Not even all the spaces were filled in. And what I realized is when the general public walked by that room, they took a look in and kept walking. This did not excite people. It might have been how people used to collect stamps, but it was not the way to display in a museum. So what was the next step? If you've got a situation where people are sort of poking their head in and saying, hmm, righto, and moving on, how do you, what, did, what was your plan and what ideas did you have to seek out to turn it into something new and exciting? Well, the museum staff as a whole, including the director and every department and the curatorial department, and I was the chief curator of Philately, we brainstormed and we also brought in stakeholders and we wrote a strategic plan. I was the lead on that, on how to have an exciting gallery. And of course, when the opportunity came to expand to another floor and make a huge gallery, in fact, it's the world's largest stamp gallery, we jumped on it. Of course, it meant a lot of fundraising and it meant a lot of work. It took us seven years to do the work to open that gallery. So you talk about moving to a new space, uh, but that doesn't just mean filling it with more stamps. So what, what does it mean in terms of making philately or making it somehow engaging to people who, as you mentioned earlier, people who aren't rusted on stamp collectors? Right. So we wanted to show good stamps because that's what stamp collectors like, but we had to tell good stories. And our theme was every stamp tells a story. And what we did is we mixed, we integrated stamps with three-dimensional postal objects, with gra large graphics, with interactive devices so people could create their own stamp and search the world for what they wanted to find, and videos. 
So we made it a very dynamic space and a fun space with seven different galleries. And each gallery had a different theme, but it also had a different style of display so that different kinds of learners could always find something. There was something there for everyone. I guess part of the the thing about philately, about stamp collecting, is that for many years, its demise has been predicted. People saying, oh, young people aren't interested, interested in that anymore. And yet young people still start collecting stamps so how do you um how do you create something that will engage with a a generation of digital natives when it comes to presenting stamp collecting in a museum setting well it's true there might be um not as many collectors today in the world as there once was but what i find is those collectors are more specialized and more passionate so when you have children they collect generally between the age of six and 10, they collect something. And those who are exposed to stamps might come back to them later in life, but you don't have to do it from childhood. Many people enter the hobby in their middle years as a stress buster from a hard job or as a social activity or as just something to escape from the world. A lot of people collect according to their heritage, to their travels, to their work. And so we actually find that because of the pandemic, the hobby has grown. People who were isolated at home were looking for new ways to learn about geography and history and expand uh, their activities, but doing it at a home setting. And Zoom and the internet uh, and online auctions and clubs online have actually expanded how people can network with each other. We're hoping that the younger generation, they're very much a, a DIY, do-it-yourself group, and they love graphics and visuals. Well, this is a hobby where you do it yourself, you create your own scope, and it's nothing but visuals, and they tell great stories. Now, you mentioned with the pandemic that there's been a lot more of a digital interaction between stamp collectors, stamp vendors, and all of that. What about digital interactions with a museum? Well, museums have been shown to be one of the most authoritative sites online. And so while museums draw a good audience, at the Smithsonian, we draw more people online than we do on the floor. And this is because we can draw all over the world. If you have a good website where people can find your topics because of what you've done and you have good content and plenty of it, it's amazing the interactions you get online. So it's kind of like it's bringing the world to the museum without having to get on an aeroplane. <laughs> Something like that. So do you think that this is part of the future of stamp collecting as well? Is that there is a digital future for the for, – for, I think I said for the art form, for the pastime, um, that, you're, that, that this becomes an integral part of, first of all, the hobby of collecting and then how you interact with others and even then the future of museums with a flat philatelic exhibit? I think the pandemic has given us a gift in that we have learned that in order to do outreach, you have to do digital and we're not going back. The world is never going to go back. It's an exciting world out there. You need the on-site objects. You need to touch and feel the real thing and learn from it. But if you want to reach new audiences and you want to excite the world, you have to go online. Now let's talk about the future of the postage stamp. 
what is the postage? Well, I suppose I'll ask the question: Is the postage stamp still relevant? It's a good question, and many people ask that. I think the stamps will continue to sell as long as people buy them and use them. So, in general, first-class mail is down, which means maybe not as many people are buying stamps and putting them on envelopes. At the same time, people still send postcards, greeting cards for holidays and birthdays, and when people go into a post office and pick out that stamp to put on those envelopes, when they send that letter, the first thing that person sees is that stamp. And it has a message to begin with before they even open it. I think as long as people get excited opening their mailbox, and that still happens to this day, we reach every member of the community through the mailbox, I think stamps will continue to be a popular a vehicle for expressing our country's identity, heritage, uh, whether you're showing flowers and birds or famous people or founders of the country, whatever your topics might be, it's educational, but it's also people get excited to get mail. So is it almost that stamps form part of our national cultural heritage uh, and it's, they've gone beyond a simple functional item you put a stamp on an envelope, it gets carried because you've put a stamp on it, to being a bit more of a, having, having more of a symbolic purpose as well? I agree. It's a prepaid postage, so it's got a function on the envelope, but it does much more than that. It tells a story and it sparks the flame when people open that mailbox. And there's something special about getting a stamp we're getting an overseas letter or an overseas postcard with that stamp on it because it's we, we can become almost blind to our local stamps if you're always getting mail with the local stamp on it. When you get something special, it's from overseas. It, is, it still has that specialness to it, doesn't it? It does, and that's why people save them. I mean, what on earth of all the ephemeral stuff that comes into your home, what do you really save? And envelopes with stamps are something that people actually save. And that's part of why we have such a large collector community. They find pretty interesting stuff that way. Speaking of the collector community, a, a quick question, a bit off, off, off topic here, postmarking of stamps. I see some people online get very worked up about <laughs> stamps not being postmarked properly. Just for those of us who are not, fully immersed in stamp collecting. What's the importance of the stamp cancel cancellation? Well, first of all, many people collect the postmarks on a full envelope. So they might take a, a country like Switzerland and try to collect a postmark from every village and town in the entire country. So when a collector sends to another collector or a family member sends to a friend, they want that to be a readable postmark. And when something is applied in a sloppy fashion, or heaven forbid, sometimes someone will take a marker and just slash across <laughs> a stamp, you are going to raise the ire in a few collectors. Oh, I, I know that I, we used to have people come in and say, well, can you make sure you use the rubber date stamp on this one so that you get a nice, clear, crisp postmark? They're very particular about it. Moving back to the idea of the future relevance or the current relevance of postage stamps, uh, we were talking about things from a cultural perspective. There's also, I suppose, there's a, a design perspective that each country ha might have its own design, uh, its own take on design. Is that the case? Well, what I find very fascinating 
is how the designs have changed over time. So collectors are actually studying the post office as it changes over time, how it reflects identity, but also how art changes, how the printing techniques change, how the colors used, the inks change. And so today, when you find stamps, you're going to find very bright colors and very, let's call it exciting kind of visuals on a stamp. Remember, whatever design you have has to be reduced to a very tiny space. So it needs to have a level of simplicity, but yet in a very small space, it has to be very clear what this is about. And I think the designers of postage stamps are just masterful. There's only a few countries that are still issuing engraved stamps because of the high cost. But when you look at an engraved stamp, especially through a, a magnifying glass, it just makes your heart flutter. They are, they are just master works of art. Before we wrap up, Cheryl, I, I suppose I should ask you about buried treasure. <laughs> Not literal buried treasure, but you read about people who might have had a Rembrandt hanging behind their bathroom door or something like that. What should, what should people do if they think they might have some stamps hidden away somewhere at home? Well, first thing you should do is keep them in a clean, dry place because damage to stamps reduces the value immediately. And then if you go online, there are many places where you can find clubs and dealers to help you figure out a value. But I would say do the hunt. Right now in June this year, there's going to be one of the most valuable stamps in the world auctioned off for many millions of dollars. And it was found by a schoolboy in an old album. So for collectors, the hunt is always on. Everyone is, is well aware to search for a variety. Now, this this uh, rare stamp that's going up for auction, what is it? It's a British Guiana stamp. And there's only one known. And it's been owned by very famous people. Currently, the, the current owner-seller is Stuart Weissman, who was a shoe designer and magnet. And it's been um, displayed and gotten great press. And it's actually wonderful for the hobby when something like this happens and so many people have a raised consciousness of how stamps can be something that they never thought of before. Like a Rembrandt painting, when you have something bring tens of millions of dollars, it catches attention. Well, I've checked behind my bathroom door and there's nothing interesting there. Uh, I'm not sure I've got any any stamps from British Guinea or anywhere particularly interesting um, knocking around the house. But there we go. Uh, Philately, it is an enduring pastime, that's for sure, and the enthusiasm of stamp collectors can't be doubted. And I know that postal operators all over the world love their stamp collectors and are always trying to find new and interesting, interesting ways to engage with stamp collectors. Cheryl Gantz former curator of Philately at the Smithsonian. Thank you very much for joining us on the UPU's voicemail podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to Voicemail, the official podcast of the Universal Postal Union. Subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platform and you'll get each episode downloaded to the device of your choosing as it's released. My thanks to the team at the UPU for their help putting together this episode. I'm your host, Ian Kerr, and I look forward to your company next time on Voicemail, the podcast of the UPU.